Welcome to the Riot Podcast, where we have practical discussions on how to share your faith, see the news from God's eyes, and answer some of faith's hardest questions. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Riot Podcast. Uh, this show today is a continuation of last week's show, so we just want to just uh, welcome you. Also, we have a correction. So in this week's show, we, we use the word Jacob and Ishmael. And, and it actually should be Isaac and Ishmael. So if you, whenever you hear us say Jacob and Ishmael, we just replace that with Isaac and Ishmael. So that's, that's our bad. We made a mistake in there. But enjoy the show. It's awesome and great. Be blessed. Today's the show title is Understanding the Israeli-Palestine Conflict in, <laughs> with a Christian Perspective yes. or a Christian Perspective. Yes. In our episode, we will dive into one of the most complex and deeply rooted conflicts in all of modern history. The Israel-Palestine conflict has been a source of intense debate, political turmoil, and human suffering for decades. Its implications extend far beyond the geographical boundaries of the region. In this episode, we will explore the historical, political, and religious aspects of this conflict, with a particular focus on how Christians can engage in a constructive and compassionate manner when talking about what is happening in Israel. We will discuss three questions. Why the current conflict and where does it stem from? Can we trace this conflict back to Jacob and Ishmael? And should Christians side with Israel or Palestine? Yeah. So three three different things. So let's yeah. get started. Statement okay. one. Our first point here is why the current conflict, the conflict and where does it stem from? We know that there has been no spot on the face of the earth that has been such a constant source of frustration and difficulty to world leaders. Defying diplomacy, negotiations, threats, armed occupations, international conferences, um, than this one here in Israel. It is a problem that refuses to go away. But to understand why the conflict, Let's first outline the hotspots and where the conflict is happening. Yeah, it's good. So when you said, when you first said conflict, I was thinking of that Aflac show. It's almost like you went Aflac, you know, that's, that's what I was thinking. Anyway. All right. Is Dion on this episode? Right, right. Dion and, and coach, right. All right. Um, but there's, there's two major areas in Israel that are causing the conflict. First is the West Bank and, and second is the Gaza Strip. So it's it's hard to explain. We kind of explained our in the last show. You know, the last portion of the show was the Gaza Strip's down below. It's you know the twenty five miles radius the stretch, um, right down in Egypt and up. And then the West Bank is kind of like in the middle. So it's it's um it's it's east of Jerusalem and it goes up north and it goes down below. So it's all around like you said. Like I think the Jordan River. It's kind of around in that area. Um, so they're, they're separated. Uh, there's two separate territories located in the eastern part in the Mediterranean region. Historically, both areas have been the center of conflict between Israel and Palestine. The West Bank is an, a landlocked territory bordered by Israel to the east, north and west, and Jordan to the east. Um, it is home to various Palestinian cities. It is characterized by the hilly terrain, including the Jordan Valley and parts of the Judean Desert. Um, the West Bank is currently under the partial control of the Palestinian Authority with Israel military presence in certain areas. I'll tell you a, a real quick story. So we're, we go into the West Bank. Actually, we were going into um, Bethlehem, which is controlled by the West Bank. And as we were coming out, um, the, we were stopped by Israelis and um, we were searched and they looked in our, our, our vehicle. They wanted to know what we're doing and they didn't believe us at all. I mean, they were like really giving us the, the third degree act. 
Um, and then finally they let us go through, but, um, that's kind of what it is. But when you go in, also, when you go into West bank, uh, like I said, in the, the previous show, there's just, there's Israeli settlements everywhere yeah. throughout the West bank. So that's kind of why Israel wants to have, they want to give them Palestinian authority, but the Israel has a little bit of, well, I remember there. even 30 years ago when I, when I traveled from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, I remember going through the, the checkpoint and it was yep. like, you know, something you see it in a movie, you know, it was like, do you oh, remember the wall? guns and the, the you remember, barbed wire? You remember all that? The yeah. Barbed wire? yeah. 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 But on the other hand, the Gaza Strip is a narrow 25 mile long. It's 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 at the the thickest part. It's seven miles. At the smallest part, it's three so miles. Average is about five. Yeah, and it's on the coast, yep. on the Mediterranean the, coast. Yep, and uh, it's very beautiful area. So if you ever been down in that area, Ashkelon and all that, and Tel Aviv, anybody's been to Tel Aviv, they know how pretty it is. So that's kind of where it's at. So. Uh, the border of Israel and Egypt, the West Bank is larger, landlocked and under partial Palestinian authority, whereas the Gaza Strip is a smaller coastal, but it's governed only by the Hamas. So in the first portion of the show, we talked about how the Hamas is, um, they're, they're the government, right? So they're, they're a terrorist government. They're controlling, the, they're Al-Qaeda. So Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda, yeah, yeah. that's kind of what they are. Okay. Yeah. We th like when we think of ISIS or something like that, kind of that type of deal. Well, ISIS well, ISIS was not really governmental. Well, they did, though, when they came into the lands. So they did take over certain parts of the town and they were when they were creating the caliphate. Right. Yeah. 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 So. All this history is coming back to me. Now. All right. All right. So let's answer our first question. When did this current conflict happen and why? OK, so this is good. So now this will give context. Everybody's asking, well, what did it happen? Well, the conflict began in 1948 with the creation of the Israel state out of the land from the British mandate of the Palestine. Its creation has caused numerous wars with Palestine and the surrounding nations. Israel is the stronger, wealthier of the two nations. And to reinforce its strength, Israel constructed a border wall along the West Bank border and the Gaza Strip, which has sparked the conflict. In 1967, the conflict got worse when Israel began to occupy the Gaza Strip as a part of the Six-Day War. When I was there a couple of weeks ago, I went up into the Golan Heights, and that was a major part of that, which is in the north region, all the way up towards Syria. I went to the Syrian border. I was right there on the Syrian border, and I was right there on the Lebanese border. I actually went up into a mountain, and I looked over into Syria, and I saw all of Syria and all the wall, the border wall that was there. But that was part of the Golan Heights was part of the 1967. They took a lot of land. So all of that Golan Heights area, so you're up in the Sea of Galilee and you look across, that's where the Golan Heights are and that right across the way, right? And and so that was all by Syria. So looking, you're on the west coast of Galilee looking east. East, yes, yeah. yeah. And, and so that whole area was by Syria, but Israel took all of that land back. And so that's kind of what happened in 1967. So they have a lot more land um, after that. But the occupation resulted in Israel gaining control of Gaza and the subsequent establishments of Israel settlements. This causing the conflict to increase all the more. So in 2005, Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip. The Israeli dis, um, disengagement plan led by Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, you remember that when they signed it on the, uh, I think it was Bill Clinton, um, they signed it on the right there at the Rose Garden. Um, Israel Sharon involved complete evacuation of Israel settlements and removal of Israel military forces from Gaza. This move aimed to promote peace and pave the way for the establishment of an independent Palestinian state. So the question always asked was, well, fine, they got out, but why the wall? 
Why the barbed wire? Why are they still controlling, you know, the food and everything else that comes in? Why do they control the, the electricity and the thing? Why is Israel doing that? Why are they suppressing these people? They pulled out. There's no occupation there anymore, but they basically created a prison almost. It's, it's like an outdoor bar- prison. Yeah, an outdoor prison. Yeah, there's yeah. 1.9 million people estimated that live in the Gaza Strip. That wow. small area. So there's a lot of people in a very small amount of area. That's like the size of Orlando. Yeah. So, I mean, but again, so why did Israel do this? Why is Israel protecting us? Because of the rhetoric that's coming out of Iran. And the Hamas people are saying the same thing, death to Israel. Hmm. So I'm just, I always tell people, put yourself in Israel's position. What would you do? You have the power, you have the authority, you have wealth, you have the military, whatever. What are you going to do? You're going to say, "Hey, we're just going to let them go ahead and threaten us all the time and not have any, any, you know, anything." What yeah, are you can gonna you do? imagine, like, if Windsor, Canada, all the people in Windsor, Canada, two million people in Windsor, Canada, were ch- chanting "Death to America, Death to America." What are we going to do? We're going to just let them come in. What are we going to do? <laughs> so I mean, it's like, but I understand from the Palestinian standpoint, they're like, "We're we're oppressed, we're in prison, we don't have any freedom." Well, the reason why you don't have that is because you have radicals that are living there. Like I said, there's a lot of Christians that are into Palestine. There's a lot of churches, Christian churches in Gaza, a lot in Bethlehem. There's a lot in the West Bank. There's a lot of Christians, but they're looking at us as why we support Israel. We're okay. We're not, you know, in in it, whatever. But you have a lot of radicals that are saying death. So what are they going to do? And so I know I can understand their frustration. I can understand their desire to want to have a two-state solution. I get that. We, I, I'm all for it. Find peace, something, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm not into the politics too much of it, but I get it. But at the same time, I just, I always say, look at Israel. Where, what would you do? And then everybody's against Israel because you're too hard. You're coming down too harsh on them. You're putting too many restrictions on them. You're doing all this stuff. Maybe they are. They still need to be policed, right? Maybe they have a little been, been vendetta against them maybe there's a little vengeance there or something who knows you know so that's kind of where that people are coming against but again that's that's kind of what's happening so that if you understand the conflict that's what we can trace it back to is 1948 when they became the nation 1967 to 60. all right well let's talk a little more about hamas yeah we know that hamas is a terrorist group funded by iran and has control over the gaza strip yeah, I mean that's it. I mean, again, the United States, UK, and most of the European they 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 classify them as a terrorist organization. If you hear people on the news say they're a militant group, they're they're softening it. They're basically saying they're a they're a, a radical group that's trying to protect their land or whatever. They're militants, right? But terrorism puts it in a whole different level. They're peaceful level. protesters. Yeah. So I would, <laughs> what they did, and if someone is going to call them a militant group on mainstream media, they're 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 watering that down. That's not what happened. What we saw on TV and what we're witnessing and I've seen on these telegram videos is a playing out massacre. It's disgusting. It was evil to the mm. 10th power. So yes, Hamas is a Palestinian Islamic political and military organization. It was founded in 1987. Um, as I said, the United States considered it as um, a terrorist organization um, while it's regarded as a legitimate resistant movement by others, some people say, no, it's just we're just going against the the haters of Jew putting all this stuff on us. Well, it's first started with them saying they death the Israel. 
So we got to understand where it first started. But Hamas is known for its armed resistance against Israel, its ideology of establishing an Islamic state in the entire historic land of Palestine, including present-day Israel. They want to take over the Holy Land from Muslims exclusively. Religious and racial differences perpetuate hostilities between the two nations. The conflict has affected the surrounding nations, international relations, and American foreign policy. So uh, Islam, we just had a, there's in, in America, there was a big uh, rally cry in um, Times Square last week or whatever. And they, they had all these people were Palestinian supporters and all these Jews or Jewish supporters and they were back and forth. But a, a Muslim cleric got up in Islam and he was basically telling the people that they want they are they want the whole world to come to Islam. All of the world needs to come to Islam and they're going to do whatever it takes to 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 get the world to come. And you look and his rhetoric was filled with anger. There's there was there's a wrath in his voice. There was a passion in his voice. And I always tell anybody, if you look at every religion that's out there, it, it's always has control. It always has anger. It all, and I'm talking Christianity, even if there's anger, if there's control, if there's, um, um, just, uh, evil, there's, you could see evil somewhere. There's, there's false, there's lying. There's all of this. That is not of God. The God of the Bible is gentle, kind, long suffering, patient, peaceful, filled with love, gentleness. And, and so when, when you, when you see that people, I pray, recognize immediately that religion is not okay. It's not right. And if someone in the Christian faith is acting that way, that is not okay. It's not right. They should not be acting. They should not be controlling and dominating and filled with that stuff. So that's how we know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Same thing with Jews and so forth. They're not, they're not walking according to God's perfect will, which is in Jesus. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later, but all right. All right. There, there have been many attempts to bring peace to the region. What have those peace deals looked like in the past? Yeah. So a lot of people are like, well, uh, why is peace not working? Well, again, we're going to get into why the peace isn't working, but yeah, the biggest one was um, that has been thrown around for some time is in the multi-state solution. The Palestinians have been unwilling to accept several proposals since the late 1990s or 1900s. Um, a two-state solution would provide a, uh, a state for Israel and another for Palestine. Uh, we know of two specific proposals, one made by Pre uh, Prime Minister Ehud Olmert and another by President Donald Trump. Um, they were considered beneficial to the Palestinians, yet there was widespread reluctance from the Palestinians. Uh, another proposal was a three-state solution, one for Israel, one, another for West Bank, and then Gaza. A, th a three-state because the West Bank and Gaza are not well-connected but that has been rejected completely. And one of the main reasons why it keeps uh, getting rejected is because of the expansion of Israel's population. Because of the population growth, Israel's government moved to establish settlements in the West Bank, which has caused there to be a lot of turmoil. So that's, you know, whenever you hear the West Bank, there's an uproar. A lot of it, most of it has to do with the, with the Israelis coming in and, you know, building new communities. So Israeli population is growing. They need a place to go. So that's where they part of the reason kind of suburbs. Yeah. Part of the reason we'll actually get into all the reasons why, but well, yeah. let's do that right now. So right. one of the reasons, what is Israel's motivation for moving into the West bank? Why not just leave it alone so there can be peace? Yeah. I mean, that's makes sense. Right. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of underlining reasons. So like what 
I asked this very question was an Israeli. So I spent a, a good 14 hours with this, this Jewish man and we debated all day long. I mean, it was a deep, deep discussions of what Israelis believe in Jews and Americans and West bank and this and us. So I asked this very question to, to him. And he gave me three reasons. The first was security. Some Israelis believe that having a significant presence of Israeli settlers in the West Bank helps to provide security and control over the territory. So I was like, okay, I can understand that. I can see that. So if you don't have anybody, so you got to understand, here's the uh, Mount of Olives, okay? So the, you when you're standing on the Temple Mount and you're looking west, you're looking at the Mount of Olives, Okay. So you're on the Temple Mount looking west, you're looking at the Mount of Olives, right right behind. So there's a tunnel that goes under the Mount of Olives. Okay, well, there's actually a little corridor if you wanted to walk through it, but there's a tunnel now that goes right under the Mount of Olives. And right behind the Mount of Olives is the West Bank. And so these, these Israelis are living right there. I mean, these, these Palestinians are living right there, right that close to Israel. You're looking east, not west. Um, Temple Mount, Mount of Olives is east of okay, Temple east. Mount. All right, anyway. That you're looking at it and it's there and right behind it, that's how close they are. So I can understand them wanting to have their their people living close because they're death to Israel. So now you have settlements that are there, kind of have security. Um, they argue that it creates a buffer zone between Israel and potential security threats. But the second reason is historical and biblical claims. Israel has historical and biblical ties to the West Bank. And some Israelis believe that this land should be a part of the greater Israel Israel based on religious and historical connections. And the last reason they gave me was strategic considerations. Some Israelis view the West Bank as strategically important due to its geographical location, including the proximity to Israel's major cities, water resources, and its strategic depth. So it's 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 there's it's complex, right? So here they are trying to make a peace deal. But these are these are complex issues, right? That they're trying to work through. So how do you find a peace deal that makes it make sense? Where one side is saying death to Israel, the other side is saying, hey, we're trying to live and survive and live in our own land here. We feel like we have rights to the land. We feel like we have, you know, this and we need security and we need more land for our people and da 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 da. da. So now how do you find a peace? So that's been they've been talking about peace forever. But if you're if you're always thinking about yourself. And what you want and what you desire, you're never going to find peace, right? So, True. Yeah. all right. It's a very, very complicated issue. Yes. All right. So let's talk about our second discussion point. Can we trace this conflict back to Jacob and Ishmael? Yeah, that's, I mean, I get, I get that question a lot. So, you know, so Abraham's, fighting, two, Abraham's two sons, right? Yeah. So fighting has been, Ishmael was the son of the flesh and Isaac was the son of the spirit. So that's, that's kind of the two, but, um, and if anybody doesn't know that story, go back and read and and learn that story because you should learn the difference between the two. That's, this is not for that, not today. But this is one a little more complicated to answer, but let's answer to what we do know. Muslims are linked to Ishmael mainly through post-Quranic tradition that draws the roots of Muhammad back to Ishmael. The Arab people who are mainly Muslims and some Christians originated as nomadic tribes in the Arabian Peninsula and can be traced to Ishmael's descendants. Prior to the 20th century, the term Palestinian was used as a regional term, much like referring to residents of parts of the United States as Southerners. This usage dates back to several centuries before Christ. The word Palestinian has its roots in a Hebrew word, which means Philistine, 
minute we talked about the Philistines and so forth. So that's kind of what we can trace back. But until Israel was established as a nation in 1948, Palestine was the term for the territory between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. The word Palestinians was applied to anyone living in that area. So as one of the longest continuing inhabited places on earth, this region has changed political ownership numerous times and has been a nexus of migration from many different cultures. The modern day Palestinians represent a mixture of local inhabitants and many of other groups of Muslims brought from Bosnia, the Balkans, the, the Balkans, the, the Caucasus, the Turks in the 16th and 19th century. And then from Sudan, Egypt, Syria, and Lebanon by the British in the 20th century. So the term Palestinian did not take on its current popular meaning until the 20th century. In common use today, the term Palestinian is primarily applied to non-Jewish Arabic-speaking residents of this region. This usage is highly controversial. However, since for most of the human history, a Palestinian was simply a person born or living in that land. When used in reference only to non-Jews, it applies a historical claim to the territory in opposition to Israel. In reality, the concept of Palestine as a nation-state in opposition to Israel or its racial group uh, predating the presence of Jewish inhabitants is historically false. So we can say that the Arab nation can be traced back to Ishmael, but we can't say the conflict per se traces back to Jacob and Ishmael. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. It was yeah. long-winded, but... yeah. Kind of, we had to give a context so, there. Why do you think people say that? Just it's like an easy distinction. You're like, oh, it's it's almost like, yeah, that's just the easy way out. Well, it goes back to Jacob and Ishmael, and it's just not that cut and dry. So, so Abraham was considered the God, the 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 father of many nations, right? Right. And the uh, the Bible says that both Ishmael and Jacob will be blessed, that they would be blessed. And if you follow their line and lineage you'll see that they've been blessed. They've been blessed with land. They've been blessed with a lot of things, both lines. What I want to see is because Abraham talked about the Messiah and he was, you know, remember the whole account of him sacrificing Jacob and all that, you know, everything pointed back to the Messiah. Everything pointed back to that thing. But when Abraham died, both Ishmael and Jacob came to his funeral. They were both there in agreement, and there was peace in that. And, and what is that, what is that representing? Well, again, what they come together again here, who came to Israel? Jesus. He was the, that was what Abraham was pointing to the whole time. If they want to find peace, they both got to come back the same way they did with Abraham. Hmm. And they got to find peace in Jesus because he is the difference maker. That's where there's peace. And, and, and right now there's just war. So we're going to kind of get into what did Jesus fill? Paul talked about it in Ephesians 2, uh, that he breaks down those barriers in the wall. So let's read that um, and, and you know, kind of make this final point of with the Christian side with Israel or Palestine, should we or not? Yeah. All right. Let's do that. So Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For, for, 
thy himself is our peace. <laughs> I can't read for thy himself in our peace. Yeah, that's weird, huh? Yeah, is there a typo or is yeah. that no? For the himself in our is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, stop right there. Yep. So, so what it what it's saying is back in Israel, Jesus's time or Israel's time or whatever, there was hostility everywhere. And and, and by the blood of Christ, by believing in Jesus. If you come to him, all of the walls of hostility that you had against everybody is broken down. down. That's what it's saying. That's what Jesus did. All right, go on. All right, verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile, reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. So, so what is that saying? So we have, we're, we're become one in Christ. Remember in John 17, Jesus says, for I, you and the father are one. We are, we are one as they are one in us. That's what he's talking about. So here, Paul is just reiterating, listen, all the hostilities, Muslim, Jew, Hindu, everybody come unto Jesus, surrender your lives to Jesus. And all of that hostility, all of that killing, everything will be done away with. You'll, you'll be one in me. We be family, all of that because of what Jesus because did on the Jesus cross. Jesus did on the cross. Yeah. All right, all right. Verse seventeen. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For though, for though him, or for through him, we both have access to one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by, for God by the spirit. Yeah. So let me just talk about that real quick. So um, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So again, Muslims believe in the prophets. Okay. They don't believe in the apostles, but they believe in the prophets. All the prophets were pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. They missed it. But, G- but Paul says that if you believe in Jesus, you believe whatever, the mysteries of the Bible, the Old Testament, will come to light. Hmm. That's the whole point of what Paul's doing. He's revealing the mysteries that were in the prophets' teachings and the apostles' teachings were reflecting those mysteries to help people understand that Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the he is the foundation to all peace in all the world. That's what he's saying. All right. So based off this verse, we know as Christians, our prayers and labors should be especially devoted to heralding the gospel of Jesus the Messiah as the only hope for long-term peace and justice among Jews and Palestinians, correct? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We do not know the Bible. We do know the Bible does not teach that we should be partial to Israel or to the Palestinians. We believe Israel is God's chosen people, and we support their efforts to finding peace. We do stand with Israel in any country that is facing evil terrorism. Amen. But the reality is they will never find true peace because they have rebelled against their Messiah. In fact, both the Palestinians and the Jews have rebelled against him. Wow. That's, let's call it what it is. Israel... Palestinians, the world is in chaos. There's pain, there's agony, there's misery everywhere. And the reason why they haven't found eternal peace is because they rejected the Messiah. Amen. 
They rejected Jesus. That's what's happening. If we want to see what is going on, where is that? Well, yeah, maybe the internal conflict started in 1948. What's going on right now? But the truth of the matter is they have, they're at each other's throats because they didn't, they didn't read what Paul said in Ephesians and understand that, wait, Jesus came. The reason why he came was to set us free from all of that. That's the reason why he came to help you guys restore order in the land and find peace. But they haven't done it. All right. All right. We know that Israel was chosen by God from all the peoples of the world to be the focus of his blessing in history, the history of redemption. This history climaxed in the coming and death of rex and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, Deuteronomy 7, 6 says. So we support Israel as God's chosen people. That will never change. No, absolutely. I mean, it's not only that, but God promised to Israel that presently disputed land from the time of Abraham onward. God said, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offsprings, Deuteronomy 34.4. Statements to that effect are repeated many times throughout the Bible. But neither of these two facts, Israel's election and God's covenant promise of the land, means that Israel has a present-day divine right to the land. What are you reading now? Oh, sorry. I was going back. <laughs> Something jumped in my mind. I thought we... Never mind. It doesn't matter. It's good. Yeah. So we're talking about, so once they rejected the Messiah, they basically said, hey, we're rejecting God's perfect will. We're completely rejecting anything to do what God said was very best when he sent his only son. So, so both sides of this have rejected. I mean, that's really what you're saying. Yeah. Right? Because a non-covenant keeping people does not have a divine right to hold the land of promise, which was given by the covenant. Covenant breaking fortifits covenant privileges. God said to Israel, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment and my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. Today, Israel is a covenant breaking people. There are thousands. I know of Messiah trusting Jews. They are not covenant breaking. They enjoy God's saving favor. But as a whole, as an ethnic unity, as a state, they are defined by rejecting Messiah Jesus. They don't want to define themselves as Christians. If they embrace Messiah Jesus as Messiah and Savior, they would be Christian. They are self-consciously not Christian. They are in a state of treason against their king who sent his son to save them. A people in treason against the king cannot lay legitimate claim on the king's promises to a covenant-keeping people. So I know some people that are saying, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're saying I'm All we're saying is the absolute <laughs> truth of the Bible. We're, this is in context. There's no way out of that in context. But here's the other statement to this. When we pray for peace of Israel, a lot of times if we say, oh, we're praying for Israel, but what we're doing is we're completely alienating the Palestinians. We're completely, we're basically one-siding ourselves and saying we're only for Israel. But we, and I, you know, and most people that are doing that, I don't think they're consciously doing that. But in their mind, their hatred towards the Hamas, yeah. their hatred towards that's those people. Got, that's where you got to be careful. But what happens if the Hamas comes and gives his life to the Lord? And he says, oh, what I did was evil and wrong. I need to repent. I need to give my life to Jesus. As Christians, we're like, oh, amen for that. But we're not saying that when we're when we're like we're rallying cry behind Israel, we're rallying cry behind one source or the other. So as a Christian, we want to see things properly. Yes, God's chosen people of Israel. He brought the Messiah through him. Yes, that's true. 
yes, we pray for Israel in peace, but we pray that Israel find Jesus, the Messiah. And we also pray for Palestine, that they find peace and that they find Jesus, Messiah. Because if we want peace in the Middle East, they, as Ephesians 2 said, as Paul said so right to the hostility will be gone. They would, it would be gone. Jesus came to remove that barrier, that wall that's there right now. And so we could talk about two-state all this all we want, but Islam is clearly saying, we're going to take back all that's our land. We want it all. We want the whole world to be that. And the Jews are saying, no, this is our land. We're never going to give this up. This is who we are. We're the chosen people. We're God. But God is saying, no, you've rejected me. Hmm. You rejected the Messiah. This calamity is on your head. I can be your God. I will take care of it. He's still protecting them. I I believe that God can use this calamity, and I believe this strongly in, in all of what's happening, to bring revival within Israel. I, I, I'm praying that that God would open their eyes to be able to see that, wait, we rejected the Messiah. We need the Messiah. We need him help. We need to restore order. And it's only in Jesus that peace can come. And, I, and I'm praying, there's, a, there's stories now of Muslims coming to Jesus all over the world because they're opening their eyes or wait, I can't find peace in, in Allah. I can't find peace in Muslims. I can't find peace in the Jewish faith, but I can find peace in Jesus. And so that's, that's, that's where we as Christians, we need to see it properly. And yes, pray for peace in the Middle East. Yes, pray for Israel, but also pray for Palestinians. There's, I told on the other, the other part of the show, I said there's more Christians in, more Christians in Palestine than there is all else rest of Israel. Hmm. There's a lot of churches there. I went to a few of them. So when I was up in the West Bank. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's evident. Thoughts? Uh, yeah. So it sounds like our, our, our prayer maybe should be more of a line of pray for peace, but pray that they recognize that Jesus is who he said he was. The only time they're going to find real peace is in that. That's where the peace is going to come from. Awesome. Yeah. We're not praying for peace because the government's going to fix it. They're not, you know, the antichrist is going to try, but we're not. We're praying that they repent of their sin and recognize the Messiah as their peacemaker. Amen. That's good. Okay, so was this part of the plan when Jesus stood looking out over Jerusalem with tears and said, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You did not know the time of your visitation. This this was found in Luke 19. Um, they had rejected the cornerstone, and they still do. Yeah, I mean, Jesus got it. So when he's standing there up in the mountains, uh, the Temple Mount, and he's looking, I mean, not the Temple Mount, Mount of Olives, and he's looking over to the Temple Mount. And he's weeping. And, you know, he just got back from Jericho. He got back from the West Bank. He's coming in. He's weeping because he recognized that they're blind. He, here is, here's the God, their God. And, you know, how many times did he tell the Pharisees, the reason why you don't know is because you don't know the Father. If you knew the Father, you would know me, right? We'd learn that in John. Well, he's weeping because they don't know the Father. They don't know him. They're rejecting him. They've rejected him then, and they're rejecting him now. So the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Jesus said this in Matthew 21, 43. He will take it away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. That is the church. Then he explained it like this. He says, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, Israel, will be thrown into the outer darkness. For now a hardening has come upon Israel, Romans 11, 5, 25. So, I mean, Jesus said the words himself. And what they're dealing with right now is darkness. And they want to find peace. They want to find light. They're going to find it in Jesus. And so that's kind of 
what we're praying for. We're praying that God would protect Israel, would protect these people, and that this ugliness would stop. But more than anything, we're praying that they would look up and say, God, help us. Messiah, help us. These are the times of the Gentiles, the times of the nations. But this hardening of Israel is not God's last word. He has a saving purpose for Israel. All Israel will someday turn to the Lord Christ as a group. This is my deep understanding and belief of Romans 11. The broken off branches will be grafted in one day to people of God, the bride of Christ, his church. I think we should pray for that day. Mm. I pray, Lord, bring the day when the hardening will be lifted from Israel. Grant, O God, their eyes should be open, that they would see Jesus as their Messiah and join the church of Jesus Christ. In one great tree of covenant love, may they be grafted into salvation. That is our prayer. That is our hope. All right, let me close with this question, Pete. Does Israel's present rebellion against God mean that other nations have the right to molest her? Oh my gosh. I know. I kind of know the answer to that. I mean, it's like, it's like, come on, of course not. The nation of Israel still has human rights among nations, even though she has no rights before God, just like all the nations do. We don't think any nation, because it is pagan and unbelieving nation, should be treated unjustly. Neither should Israel. In the Old Testament, the nations that gloated over her divine discipline were punished by God, Isaiah 10. Mm-hmm. We, how many times in, in the Old Testament do we read, especially like in Jeremiah, you curse God, you curse uh, the nation, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, all these <laughs> other nations. I mean, it's like, you know, you don't want to come against any nation, but especially God's chosen nation. Our plea as Christians to Palestinians and Jews is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Until that day when both Jewish and Gentile followers of King Jesus inherit the earth, not just the land, until that day when we together inherit the earth without lifting a sword and without lifting a gun, the rights of nations should be decided by principalities of compassion, public justice, not claims to divine right or divine status. That's kind of where we're at. Your thoughts? No, I just think this is... There's so much that I don't understand about this conflict, but uh, I, I, I think it gives a context. Though. Yeah, I like because of our discussion now, I think it gives me a better uh, perspective because you know, over the last few days I've been seeing everywhere like, you know, pray for Israel, pray for Israel. And yeah, that I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with that. But I I didn't pick up the fact that, you know, what you're really saying or kind of behind the scenes is you're like you're you're creating more division. And we do this in America all the time. It's like, you know, we say we're supporting things, but the way you're supporting it, you're actually creating more division with the other side. And so the, the prayer here would be that people's eyes, all people's eyes would be open to who Jesus is, who the Messiah is, and and turn to him because that's where the peace comes from. Yeah, I mean, I look at, you know, remember the book of Acts where in Acts 2 and, you know, the Holy Spirit came and all of those people came to know Jesus at that very moment, right? Peter would preach and 3,000, boom, you know, and that was happening all over the place, right? It's just people were giving a life to the Lord. Well, would that be awesome? Would, if you want to see a radical movement of God, would that be awesome if all of a sudden all these Muslims came to know Jesus? And the Jews and the same, and then just this revival broke out in that land. Yeah. What would that do to the world if that took place? What would the world do with that if they saw both of these people that were hostile towards each other find peace and they actually be able to work together? What would that do? Would that bring revival within the land, you think, within the world? Wow. Can you see? Now do you see? Now when we say let's pray for peace, now you put that in perspective, what we just said. 
put that in perspective. Now it has a whole different meaning, yeah. doesn't it? Every knee will bow. Everything changes in Jesus' name. Wow. So if you're listening today, we would love for you to give your life to the Lord if you haven't. Um, I, this is a this was a tough topic. We we really talked a lot, and we really gave a lot of context here. But um, the bottom line is that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is everything. And if Jesus spoke to your heart today, and you're saying, you know what, I need to get close to Jesus. He, I want that peace in my life. I want to find uh, the you know, hope. I want to find direction and I want God to lead me and guide me and direct me. And well, you can. And the Bible is very clear that you just have to humble yourself and you just have to ask God to forgive you of your sins and repent, turn from it, and then believe that Jesus is the son of God. Believe that he died and rose again on the third day. I mean, all these religions, they talk about what they talk about and they always, they deny that Jesus is the God, is God. They deny that he rose again. Muslims do. Jews don't even believe in the Messiah. But if you say, you know what? I'm not going to believe in religion any longer. I'm going to believe in the, the, the living, risen Christ. And, and if that's you, just pray it in your heart. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I, I repent of my sins. I turn from my wicked ways. I, I, I choose today to seek you. I choose today to follow you for the rest of my life. I believe in my heart that you died on the cross and you rose again from the grave. And, and I give you my heart today in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that or anything such as that, the Bible says now all the angels in heaven are rejoicing. They're rejoicing with you as one has been saved and we rejoice with you. And we would love to hear from you. So Bob, how could they, how could they get in contact yeah, with amen. us? Amen. Um, go, go to our website, theriotpodcast.com. Click on the No God tab. Uh, lots of information there for you. Scroll down and uh, you can reach out, find our contact information. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to pray for you. You can also go to our social media sites and and reach us that way um, on Facebook. On I almost said Twitter. Uh, X. On X. Uh, <laughs> really known as Twitter. And, and those of you that are uh, listening to the podcast, um, you may not know this or not, but we have a YouTube channel as well. And this is... Uh, the podcasts are also on video. So if you want to watch us, you can do that on YouTube. Uh, and when you're there, make sure that you click the bell and subscribe so that you're always notified when a new uh, episode of the Riot Podcast is released. So Pete, a great show as always. Love getting back together with you and talking about just real current events. And I hope this, um, I hope this helps clarify maybe in some people's minds what's what's going on. And but But more importantly, gives us, it kind of gives us an action step. Now, you know, I know better how to pray now mm. and, and how to ask for help in this situation. So I, I, I'm grateful, if I, you know, for doing this show just for that reason alone. So have an amazing week of worship, guys. Thank you for listening. Blessed. This has been The Riot Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please feel free to leave a comment and share it with your friends. See you back here next week for another episode of The Riot Podcast.